Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the emergency medicine residents and faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Core Concepts of Emergency Medicine. Welcome to this week's Core Concepts, brought to you by the EM Guidewire team from the Carolina's Medical Center EM Group. Today we have myself, Dr. Chris Gardner. Katie Lupez. And Russell Tregonis. This week's show is brought to you by ice. Ice. It can make a drink perfect on a hot summer day, as well as save a brain. Ice. Now let's get on with the show. Today we are going to be talking about ED management of increased ICP. ICP can be elevated for a lot of different reasons. Traumatic bleeds, non-traumatic bleeds, ischemic events now presenting with edema, infection, obstruction, a lot of things. Now, let's start with the basics. Chris, I'm not asking you about the basics because you are an intern, but you are an intern. So what do you know about ICP? Well, fair question, Russ. I'll take a crack. So uh, this is a big topic here, but let's focus on the important stuff. So we have uh, patient population with you know, a traumatic brain injury or for whatever reason they have increased intracranial pressure. And why do we care about this? So I think first it's important to understand where this pressure comes from, right? So uh, I think the, the formula I keep in mind here is the cerebral perfusion pressure or CPP is gonna be our mean arterial pressure minus our intracranial pressure. So what we wanna do really is optimize our cerebral perfusion pressure here. So how do we wanna do that? So we wanna optimize our MAP and minimize our ICP. All right, so cerebral perfusion pressure equals MAP minus ICP. Let's increase our MAP and get our ICP down to perfuse our brain. Chris, how do we even tell if someone has an elevated ICP? Great question, Katie. So I think the one that we are uh, probably most familiar with is going to be the GCS, Glasgow Coma Scale, right? This is all uh, drilled in our brain, you know, GCS less than 8 inhibate. So this is a number we want to keep in our heads early when we're evaluating these patients. We want to calculate that score and be mindful of that and also be mindful of that's how that score might change. Uh, there's also localizing symptoms we can be looking out for here. I'm talking about blown pupils, so pathologic anisocoria. We're talking about posturing, uh, decorticate, decerebrate, or those scary injuries that roll in where the patient has an obvious deformity to their skull. There's also some physiologic things that can kind of uh, increase our suspicion for increase in cranial pressure, such as the Cushing reflex we all remember from med school where your heart rate goes down and your blood pressure is going up. All right, so it sounds like an intern can recognize when there's elevated ICP. Even an intern. <laughs> so it sounds like it's not hard to understand when we have elevated ICP. We just have to have a high level of suspicion for it. Okay, now that we've discussed identifying our patient, what are we going to do for him? Lupez, I want to run through a case with you. Let's say we've got a trauma patient coming in, had a terrible MVC, obvious signs of head trauma, and a depressed GCS. Now what are we going to do for this patient? All right, trauma-rama time. First, I'm thinking ATLS. I'm going to make sure to evaluate all my A, B, C's, and D's. I'm going to make sure to look at their airway, make sure they have bilateral breath sounds, make sure they have good circulation and MAP, and then assess their disability. I'm going to make sure to get in a good neuroassessment early because I know I may have to take this airway and I'm about to lose my neurologic assessment. Now, Lupez, walk me through what you said about airway there again. How are you making your determinant whether or not this patient has a good airway? So just like Chris said, GCS less than eight, intubate, but sometimes maybe it's not that simple. Our patients are rapidly progressing and sometimes deteriorating. They may be going from a GCS of 15 to 12 
and I need to get them to the scanner. I need to make sure that my patient's airway is secured. Also, I'm looking at their secretions, maybe even their emesis. I need to make sure that my patient isn't at risk for aspiration or something worse. Got it. So to summarize here, it sounds like the patient's mental status can really be a moving target sometimes. We want to make sure we're always being cognizant of where the GCS is now as well as how quickly it's changing. And also, you know, as a patient throwing up those kinds of things, we want to make sure they can protect that airway. All right, Russ, so what are we going to do about this airway? Okay, so if we've made the decision that we're going to try and take this airway, our main focus is going to be oxygen delivery to the brain. Now, delivering oxygen has two main components to it. One, how oxygenated our blood is. Now, this is easy. We're trying to get an ET tube in this patient where we can give them nice concentrated oxygen, and our SpO2 is going to look great. The other thing we have to worry about, though, is the actual perfusion. We have to make sure that the amount of blood we're delivering to the brain is appropriate to get all of that oxygen up there. As you were saying earlier, Chris, our cerebral perfusion pressure is going to be based off of our MAPS and our ICP. These patients' ICPs are going up, so we have to make sure our MAPS are elevated enough to maintain that. If we maintain our MAPS above our ICP, then we can make sure we're getting enough blood with good oxygen to the brain. Get blood with good oxygen to the brain. All right, I can handle that. But what agents are you using, Russ? So let's start with the induction agent. My favorite agent to use here is going to be ketamine. Say what? What? I know, I know. So prior studies in the 70s did talk about ketamine causing increased ICP. Obviously what we don't want, but I think there's now several good trials saying that ketamine doesn't even increase ICP in our TBI patients. It's interesting you should mention that, Russ. Those studies done back in the day, I mean, I can't remember when that day was. It seems like it was so long ago. Uh, but As long ago as when John Fox was born. <laughs> that's, that's what I heard. All right, everyone, I have to break in here for a second. Contrary to popular myth, I am not older than dirt. I was, however, born in the 70s. Now on with the show. Uh, so those studies actually involved a patient population that already had obstructive hydrocephalus. So these were patients that were getting interventions for obstructive hydrocephalus to begin with. So I don't necessarily think that applies to the patient that's coming in with an acute change in their intracranial pressure. In addition, some studies have actually shown that ketamine can sort of increase our cerebral perfusion pressure in mechanically ventilated patients. Okay, so it sounds like ketamine is a good option. Not only will it not decrease our MAP so we have good perfusion, it also doesn't seem to have any evidence of increasing ICP on its own. Well, now that we've picked that as our induction agent, Lupez, how are you going to paralyze this guy? All right, so we're ready to paralyze. The biggest thing I'm thinking about is my neuroassessment and making sure that I can get a decent neuroassessment again and soon. So I want something fast on and fast off. So I typically use succinylcholine. Okay, Lupez, I never want to disagree with you. And let me emphasize that again. I never, ever, ever want to disagree with you because, let's be honest here, you're always right. Glad you understand that, Russ. However, after doing a little bit more literature review, I'm starting to maybe lean the other way. There was a recent review article done by Pentawala et al. in 2016 that compared rocuronium and succinylcholine for our TBI patients. Now, it was retrospective, so it shows association, not causation, but succinylcholine was associated with a higher mortality. Now, they thought this association could be due to increased ICP following its administration. We don't know for sure. Further studies might have to elucidate that information a little bit better. Still, it was enough to give me some pause and say, why don't I try Rocky Ronan for this guy? Okay, okay, I'll buy it. Sounds like there might be some evolving evidence-based practice out there, and we'll keep our eye out for more studies that maybe show some more causation rather than just association. 
I think the most important thing is we've got to secure this airway. This patient needs to get to the scanner and he needs to have definitive treatment. So do whatever is best for you to secure this airway, whether it's succinylcholine or rocuronium, and communicate with your inpatient colleagues to make sure they know when this patient can be reassessed and reevaluated for operative or non-operative intervention. Okay, finally onto the tube itself. I know we gave you a hard time at the beginning of this podcast, Chris, but I want no one other than you taking this tube. Walk us through how you're going to do it. Russ, you know I love talking tubes. So, as the legendary Mike Gibbs would say, you want to make your first attempt the best attempt, uh, particularly in these patients. So we want to obviously have our airway cart ready, all things we would have for any other intubation. Uh, but in these cases, we've got a patient who's in C-spine precautions. We want to have somebody make sure they're stabilizing that C-spine. I would definitely pick video laryngoscopy for these patients, maybe even a hyperangulated blade if you've got one in your shop with the glide scope to make sure you can get it down there on the first try. I love it. So we're making our first attempt, best attempt. We're using a video scope and we're making sure we protect that C-spine because who knows what other injuries this person might have. All right, we got the tube in place. What are the next things we can do for this patient? Okay, I like to break it down into kind of passive versus active interventions that we can do. Now, passively, number one, let's put this patient into reverse Trendelenburg if we're able to. These are patients we want to get the head of the bed up, but a lot of times because we're concerned about other injuries, we can't just sit the head of the bed up. Let's tilt the whole bed. Next, I like to think of it as wanting to have a Goldilocks seat collar. Now, that means it's not too loose and not too tight. Our medics always do a great job of putting C-collars on our patients. However, we've noticed they don't always fit the patients. Here we want to make sure we have a great fit. And the reason for that is, one, it needs to support that C-spine. But two, it shouldn't be too tight to cut off any venous drainage coming down from the skull. Finally, the last thing we can do to make sure our patient is able to drain as much venous blood as it can is have a low mean airway pressure on our ventilated patients. We don't need to bump the peeps up super high for these patients as long as they're oxygenating well keep it nice and low so the venous blood can flow. All right, Russ, so it sounds like what we're doing here is really trying to get our venous drainage from the brain in the best way possible. So reverse T-Berg, get that Goldilocks collar on, and make sure we got low maps on our vent. Low-key, Lupez, give me something fancy about some active management of this ICP. All right, so what are some active things that I can do to manage my patient? So some would argue that sedating and paralyzing our patients may actually decrease intracranial pressure. And I would definitely agree, if your patient's going buck wild, coughing all over the place, sedating and paralyzing that patient will help decrease our ICP. But if they're already low key and just hanging out there, you're probably not gonna get much benefit at all from sedating and paralyzing, unless you need to secure your airway. Other active things that we can do to help manage our patient is give things like mannitol. Mannitol has been studied for a long time in the literature and is shown to help decrease elevated intracranial pressure. The dosage for this is anywhere from one to three grams per kilogram. But mannitol is a diuretic. You're essentially pulling all the fluid you have in someone's body and having them pee it out. This has a lot of side effects, including acute kidney injury, hypotension, things we're not looking for to do to our patients. So there's some new stuff on the market like hot salts. Hot salt. Can hot I get salts. a hot salt? Katie, you know why they call it hot salt? Mm, no idea, but it is 3% hypertonic saline, and maybe it's sometimes hot? I don't know. It essentially has the same effect as mannitol in decreasing your ICP. The dosage we're looking at is about 150 to 250 cc bolus, and in kids, you're looking at about 1 to 2 cc's per kilogram. This has the same effect as mannitol and is actually being favored in our traumatic literature and even our medical literature but I heard there's some new tricks on the block. So 
I did a little bit of reading recently talking about another agent we might consider using, another hypertonic agent that might be a little bit easier to get your hands on than hypertonic saline. For us, if we have a patient in a front trauma room, you can get hypertonic saline as quickly as you can snap your fingers. However, if you're on the floor, if you're in one of the back rooms, if you're somewhere else trying to quickly get hypertonic, it can take a little bit more time. Fortunately, we've got some hypertonic stuff in our code card even though we don't know it. Sodium bicarb actually has about 6% sodium inside of it, so it's hypertonic compared to our serum. With that in mind, an amp of sodium bicarb is 50 cc's of 6% saline. That's the same as 100 cc's of 3% saline. You give someone two amps of sodium bicarb, that's giving them 100 cc's of 6% saline. A pretty potent dose and something that can definitely get you through a tough time. All right, sounds like we have a lot of tools in our box. We can sedate and paralyze if we need to, or we can give one of our agents either mannitol, hypertonic saline, or another cool trick, just a little bit of sodium bicarb. All right, guys, we hit a lot of concepts so far in this talk. Let's run through a quick summary and make sure that we're emphasizing the big things that we can do to try and help our patients. All right, so we covered a lot today, so let's run through our core concepts here. Remember, the increase in cranial pressure means less cerebral perfusion pressure, and that's bad. Evaluate your patient's neurostatus early and often. If the GCS is bad, intubate. If the GCS is okay but changing fast, maybe intubate there too before it gets any worse. When you intubate, do it once and do it right. Consider ketamine and either sucks or rock for your agents. Focus on no hypotension, no hypoxia. Once tubed, increase venous return with refers T-Berg, appropriate C-collar, and low airway pressures. Actively, you can consider paralytics or sedation only if you need to. And finally, hypertonic agents like hypertonic saline, mannitol, or even sodium bicarb can again increase your intracranial pressure. That's all from the EM Guidewire team. This is Katie Lupez, Chris Gardner, and Russell Trigonis. Thanks again for joining us at the Jay Lee Garvey Studios. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today! CMC out.